Okay, we're in. We're back. Okay, welcome to the Legion Report podcast. We are on to episode eight um, and we are going through these episodes. So before we um, intro our guest, I'd like to just give a, a really brief shout out to today's sponsor, uh, the company, local company that's supporting us, which is the Love Your Pub Group. So Love Your Pub Group are the, the place to go if you're looking for really good places to eat, really good places to drink. Uh, and events that are going on obviously with the current situation um, there's not many places to go eat and drink but what they are supporting at the moment is the pubs that are doing things like takeaway food takeaway beers including breweries and distilleries so check out their um, facebook which is the love your pub group uh, check out their instagram because there's lots of things going on there including cocktail making and also check out their website for latest news which is loveyourpub.co.uk so thank you to love your pub for supporting us today my name is Danny Hater. I'm Ray Farrow, and our guest today is Dave Bevan. Hi, Dave. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, yeah, Dave. So before we go into your full story, we'd just like to, as we normally do on this this podcast, is just get a bit of a, a feel from your background. So if we go back to your early days, okay, yeah. um, where you grew up, what school you attended, and if there was any sports or hobbies that you uh, that you liked, uh, so, you know, when you were, when you were young, should we yeah, say? So I grew up in Portsmouth, um, in Cockner, and uh, went to Cockner Junior School, um, and then moved on to Mayfield. Um, in terms of my hobbies, absolutely football mad, um, and uh, into things just like trying to relax, like doing fishing and things like that. But yeah, predominantly football and uh, and tennis. So yeah, absolutely mad. Um, played a lot of local football for about 20 years. Oh, you played play football, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I met Danny. Um, yeah. You know, probably like a, a lot of the lads in the city sort of started around the age of seven or eight. Yeah. Uh, went all, all the way through to sort of early 30s. What position uh, did you play, Dave? Uh, back in the day, it was centre midfield. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, you used to enjoy it, mate. It's good. Forcer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big network of friends. Um, it's still speak to today. I think you know anyone that's involved in local football from a young age has probably built a similar network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know yeah, that, that carries on into into business and things like that today. So. Do you still yeah. have much to do with football now? Do you do any like? No, not at all. Not just at all. watch but, it. Yeah, I got injured in my late twenties, dislocated my knee, which is the first ever injury I ever did. Um, that put me out for about a year, and. Uh, I was in um, a pretty serious job at the time, and I just thought, actually, it's probably uh, time to, to bow out gracefully. And uh, I scored the winner in the, in the cup final at, at the time as well, so it was it was nice to just knock it on the head then. But it's weird because I I played for so long, but don't miss it now. Um, yeah. Sounds crazy, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just like had my uh, had my full quota of it, if you know what I mean. Loved every minute of it. Did you? See- did you switch your focus then once you got injured? Do you switch your focus on to say else? Because we always find that someone needs something else yeah, to keep them motivated. Yeah, so like I say, I was, I was in my late 20s, approaching my early 30s. And that was the point that um, I started switching my attention to uh, with, with Rachel, my other half, to, to open our first business. Um, and yeah, everything went into that. Um, and uh, I just changed jobs at that point as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, really, it was quite a nice sort of 
progression, if you like, or, or switch across. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, I, I don't miss football anymore. It, it's strange because it was it was so much of my life. Um, but uh, yeah, you still watch um, still watch a lot of sport, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but getting up in, on a winter's morning at nine nine o'clock. Yeah. Sunday morning. I like that. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't miss that. Turn up, there's only eight players. Um, don't miss that at all. <laughs> so you said, um, you mentioned there about um, obviously getting an injury and, and your career started to take over a little bit more in terms of importance. So just take us back to um, where your career sort of started, um, the, sort of the, the type of roles that you sort of went into, and then we're slowly moving to obviously what you're doing now. So just sort of... Yeah things that motivate you, what motivated you at the time. Um, yeah. Obviously, to stop playing sport with all your mates, it must have been a really big motivation there to, to do that. Yeah, so um, basically, I suppose it goes back to school, uh, back to Mayfield. And uh, I suppose feeling that I, I had to sort of prove a point um, that, I, you know, I wanted to come out and uh, do something, that, you know, good, good with my life and, and my career. And basically... Once I was at college, actually, once I, once I left school to do my A levels, and I absolutely loved school. Um, built a great network of friends, had the, uh, the sport like we were talking about just now, um, and, and you know really really loved my school life. And uh, moved into Courts uh, uh, College, did my A levels, and hated it basically, which is a, a real real strange one because uh, I didn't really have a problem with education or anything, but I hated uh, going to college. Uh, I didn't feel I had the same mix of friends that I was used to at, at Mayfield. Um, and it was strange, but, um, you know, Mayfield at the time, I suppose, was known as a bit of a dodgy school, if you know what I mean. And uh, that black cloud followed me, actually, through uh, through um, uh, college. And, uh, you know, even lecturers in that would say, oh, you come from Mayfield, have you? Or, you know, they didn't have sort of good expectations of you. Um, even though, sort of, you know, I'd, I'd come out of, of school, you know, and... Uh, done well in my exams and, and like I say loved school life so went to college didn't enjoy it and thought I need to go out and 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 you know go and, go and get a job and uh, I was already working part-time at Weatherspoons, uh, which I still say today is some of the hardest work I ever did which might sound funny to some people but it was for the worst money I'd ever earned it was the longest hours I ever worked and uh, you know 16 half 17 um, it was um, sort of a an, an introduction into grafting hard and um so i started working for webspeed part-time and then i got to a point where um uh, basically I, I dropped out of college so i didn't actually complete my levels uh, i got to we were the first year doing as levels at the time um done my as levels didn't do very well at it and thought actually i don't want to go back bad enough uh, i just want to get out into the world and start trying to carve out a career and at the time that was weatherspoons um uh, so yeah, it was um, hard hours, like I said, hard graft. And I did that for probably a year and a half, um, and I worked through some really hot summers. And it was about 110 degrees in the kitchen. Um, and, and back then, we used to sort of uh, cook because I was I was working in the kitchen predominantly. You like, cook the whole pub on your own, um, and uh, my mates were all out down the beach, loving life, being 17 years of age, you know. And I was just grafting away in the kitchens and it, it got to the point where I was like, what am I doing? This is, this is not fun. Uh, but I was learning and um, I was learning to sort of, you know, put in the hours. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say we got rewarded for that, but 
you know, it certainly sort of made me uh, understand what you know grafting was like. Um, and I got to the point I was cooking something in. I'll never forget it. I was cooking something in the kitchen. It was, it was a Saturday. It was boiling hot outside. I was knackered, and I remember I, I put a classic mixed grill on the grill from Weatherspoons, and anyone can remember that. And I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, this this isn't me. This is you know it, this could be me for the rest of my career, but this is not what I want to do. And I rang my brother up at the time, and I said, "Look, got to get out of this." I said, um, "You know, long hours, no work and life balance at all. Uh, I was unhealthy. I was smoking. I was drinking a lot after work. I was eating the wrong foods, and I just felt sluggish. Um, and you know, being seventeen, um, I put on quite a bit of weight after I stopped playing football. Then." Um, and to be honest, I haven't been able to sort of get it off since, but um, yeah, but it was, <laughs> it was definitely um, a sort of changing point in my life. And uh, I said to my brother, I need to get out of this. I need to go and do something that's going to be a bit more rewarding and a bit more challenging. And he put me on to his friend um, who used to work for a company called Wild Recruitment. If anyone ever remembers Wild Recruitment, back in the day, they were sort of putting all the youngsters into sales roles in Portsmouth. And uh, if anyone remembers a company called TLC, I was one of the millions of uh, Pompey lads that uh, uh, was working there. Um, and, yeah, so I started in sales. Uh, there, I was close to 18 when I started there. And it was a real baptism of fire. Um, I was basically signing people up to credit cards over the phone legitimately um, for a company called MBNA, um, which were a massive corporate uh, finance provider who still exists today. Um, and started getting a taste of sales, really, um, and quite enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, in, in telesales, it was, you know, work hard, party hard. Um, and I did that for about 10 months. Um, and I think that's probably a record for TLC, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but I did it for 10, uh, about 10 months, and I learned a hell of a lot. But again, I got to that sort of point where I thought, you know, every sort of night it was about going out on the piss. Um, and like I say, partying hard, and I thought, you know, this isn't this isn't good. I'm, you know, yes, to, you should be doing an element of that when you're 18, but not not regularly. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought, no, this, is, this isn't good. And I was still, I was back to playing football at that point uh, on a Sunday. Um, and I thought, okay, I've, I've you know, I've worked for this company for about 10 months. I've learned quite a bit, but actually, I need to go and look at something else. And uh, that's when I got my first corporate job. So I rung my brother again and said, shall I speak to your mate about, you know, if he's got anything else going? And uh, I rung up uh, Richard's mate here. And uh, he said, um, yeah, I've got um, some uh, opportunities going at Zurich Insurance. Um, and I knew Zurich were a big company. And I thought, okay, yeah, it'd be uh, worth going to have a look at. And, and that's when they were based in uh, Whiteley, which they still are now, but just not their main offices are there. Um, I ended up going for an interview. Um, this was like outbound telesales. So again, it's something I, I knew and I've been doing. Uh, got the job and uh, ended up working there for about three and a half, four years. And in, in, you know, that was my first corporate company that I worked for. And you know, you start to realise you get looked after a bit more. There's a bit more opportunity. The money's a bit better. Uh, the benefits are better. You know, your healthcare and your pensions and your things like that. So I was, I was about sort of 18 and a half, 19, and thought, hmm, quite, quite enjoy this. So I ended up being at Zurich for about three years, three and a half years. Um, met a lot of people, some of my best friends who I still speak to today. Um, and uh, it was a really, really good place to work. Um, 
and then and then sort of came to uh, uh, another crossroads and thought, okay, well, what can I do now? Um, my mate at the time that I'd been working with at Zurich went to work for uh, a company called GlaxoSmithKline. It was one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in in the world. Um, one of the companies that are actually working on the vaccine for COVID nineteen at the moment. Um, yeah, I see. Yeah. And he, yeah, he went to to work for them in in an account manager role, and uh, you know, so he'd come out of the office environment. All of a sudden, he had his car and he'd go out and see his customers on appointments. Fancy a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to get involved in that. Yeah. So I was about sort of twenty at that time. And uh, put my CV out on Monster, if anyone remember. I don't, I'm not even sure Monster still exists, but it was pretty big at the time, if I remember rightly. Um, and a company called uh, Diageo um, contacted me. Had no idea who they were. Uh, didn't know what field they operated in. And the lady that contacted me from that company, who I still speak to today, is a bit of a mentor for me, really. Um, she contacted me and she said, look, if you go onto the, uh, onto the internet and type, Diageo in, you'll know who they are. Um, and that's what I did. Um, and they ended up being the company that owned Guinness, uh, Johnny Walker, Smirnoff, Tanqueray, Siroc, um, Bells, Baileys, you name it, basically. They owned all the big drinks brands and they, and they still do. They're an absolutely huge organization. Uh, so when I saw that come off on my screen, I was like, hmm, could be quite interesting, some great brands. Um, and I went up for the interview. It was a impressive office up in Northwest London. Um, and I'll never forget, I got lost on the way there. Never never even got onto the M25 before at that age. Uh, but yeah, got up there, followed my sat nav, I think at the time. And I did the old classic, I, I drove in. London, when you first drive there, it could be quite a, quite a scary place, which actually follows on to part of my story later on, actually. Uh, but drove there. What I didn't realise, I drove in on a bus lane for my interview, and when I came out, drove out on a bus lane. So I got I got a fine for about 180 quid uh, for going for that job interview. So just that's it. So luckily I got the job, so that that paid for it. But um, yeah, brilliant. Got home that few days later, and the fine came through. Like, oh, okay. So that was your first sort of. You know, obviously the Zurich was a really good role for you, um, but Diageo was that next sort of step up. Yeah. Um, it, I just want to just fast forward you from from obviously working through Diageo. Yeah. Um, and then into this sort of mindset of actually, I want to start doing things on my own. Um, yeah. And and there's I want to. Sorry to interrupt you, Dan, but there's a little bit that what I will come on to is is a little bit that we can link back to uh, in terms of talking about mental health and anxiety. Yeah. Which actually I should point out, um, which was which was after Diageo. What, what I will say is, um, working for those big companies at the time, being young, I was very confident, very confident individual. Um, working in sales, um, good bonuses, good salaries, good good cars at that age, um, but I was very confident, borderline arrogant. Um, you know, and looking back on it now, I know that. Uh, I still had a good heart and, and still had the good sort of morals and good ethos. But, you know, I, I was successful then because of my confidence at Shred of a Dad. Um, and I'd never, ever uh, had my confidence, not really. I, I, you know, and I'm talking at the age of sort of 22, 23 at this point. Um, and what the turning point was, guys, was 
after I worked for Diageo, I went to go and work for another big organization um, in drinks still um, and in account management and sales and things like that. Um, and I got promoted to go and work in London uh, and I'd worked my, my ass off to get this job. Uh, but at the time I was about 26 um, and um, got promoted to look after sort of national accounts. Um, and the company I was working for um, at the time, uh, they, they had 865 employees that went bust overnight. And uh, I'd never ever experienced anything like that in my life. And all I can tell you is I'd worked for that company for two and a half years and I put everything into it um, and they went bust. And it was a massive shock in my industry. They were, they were a huge player. Um, but all I can tell you is when you put all your, your effort into a project or a piece of work and you watch it disappear overnight, mm. it, it's quite soul-destroying. Um, and I'd, again, I underplayed it at the time. I, didn't, I, was, I was gutted, but I didn't realise what a detrimental effect that was going to have to me later on. Um, and although it wasn't the defining moment regarding sort of an my anxieties and my stresses, there, there is something that I'll come on to a little bit later that, that was that defining moment. It certainly didn't help. Um, so um, because I lost my job overnight, that's when I started to think, you know, you lose your money, basically. Uh, that's when I started to think, Dan, back to your question, Dan, maybe I need to start thinking about being self-sufficient uh, and relying upon myself. Uh, because what you do realise when, when you lose your job overnight and, and a company goes bust like that, is the next day everyone forgets. But literally, life goes back to normal the next day, and it, you, you're back out in the marketplace trying to find a job, which I was lucky I found a job within 24 hours, um, because I had a, a strong network in doing what I did, or, or customer base, really. Uh, but, but everything I'd done for the two and a half years previous to that day before, just vanishes, disappears. And uh, yeah, I must admit like afterwards, uh, it was pretty hard to take. Um, I think I let go of about eight million pounds worth of business in 10 minutes. And then it taken me years to sort of keep hold of that business. So that was good. At the time, it was, it was, it was pretty gutting. So yeah, I suppose that's where it started to think, okay, well, that was out of my control. I couldn't do anything about it. And actually, um, something that I'd always wanted to do from a young age was eventually run my own business, uh, but never really sort of had the courage to do it. Um, uh, so, yeah, it started making me think more, actually, I want to be a bit more in control of my future, my family's future. Um, and I quite like the idea of that self-sufficiency. Um, probably similar to you, Ray, I'm not sure, um, you know, with, with what you do. Uh, but I just, it's something I wanted to do. Um, but I didn't do it. Um, I actually waited another sort of three years before I eventually did it. Um, and I'll never forget, and this, this is where it links on, uh, and I'm going on a bit, but <laughs> it all does link, in, link on and make sense. Um, I started working for Heineken after that, and I worked for Heineken for about three years, um, and it was a job that I'd always wanted. Um, but I remember I was, uh, just before I was working for Heineken, I went to work for another company in a role that I really didn't like doing. Uh, but it was very much just pay the bills, basically, um, and, and keep the family going. And uh, anyway, I was, I was doing this job and I was driving, my, my area at the time was Margate to Bristol and everything south, it was huge. I was doing a thousand miles a week and it was a job I hated. 
but like I said, I was just doing it and, and just earning the money. Um, and uh, basically, I, I'll never forget, I was in London driving around like, a, like an idiot, not really concentrating on what I was doing, following my sat-nav. And what I didn't know at the time was that my sat-nav was, was taking me around in a circle, uh, a massive circle. Um, and I uh, started getting all these deja vu moments when I was driving my car. What I didn't realise at that point, and, and I was probably around the age of 28, 29 at that point, just before I joined Heineken, what I didn't realise I was going to have the very first panic attack I've ever had in my life. Uh, so I was driving around in a big circle, not realising it, having these deja vu moments. Um, and what I haven't told you is I'm epileptic. So the feelings that I started getting when I was having these deja vu moments are like the exact same as you have when you're about to have a fit through epilepsy. And uh, so I started panicking because I was on my own in a car in London, couldn't find my way out. Don't know, I literally don't know what happened. And I really thought I was going to collapse. Um, and I was panicking. I was literally just driving on adrenaline. And somehow, and I, and I don't know how, I managed to get home. And, uh, but I was in pure uh, fight or flight mode. And I didn't know that back then, you know. I just thought I was having a bad epileptic sort of situation, which I knew from my job was, was bad because if I'd had a fit, I'd have to stop driving for a year, you know, minimum of a year, which is my living. So got home, totally knackered out. Again, wasn't quite sure what had happened, but just knew that it scared the hell out of me. And, and that was the first trigger point for what I now know to be anxiety and stress. Um, but that then disappeared. So I didn't experience that again for about another two years. Like I said, I got this job at Heineken, started doing that, back to sort of normal. Um, and then sort of partway through my job at Heineken, I started to realise I wasn't enjoying it as much as I thought. Um, Rachel, my other half, we decided during that time period that we were going to open our first business, which is hardly salon, our salon that we've got now. Um, and I suppose I was trying to be a bit of Billy Big Bollocks. I thought that I could handle working full-time for Heineken, working on a business plan to open the salon for Rachel, um, and uh, basically took a load on my shoulders. And, and didn't really think of it because my confidence, like I said to you earlier, I was such a confident individual that I knew it'd be hard, but I just thought, I can do it. It'll be fine, absolutely fine. And uh, so, yeah, got um, took all that responsibility on. And uh, what I didn't know, uh, I was probably about six, 10 months from just having a full breakdown, um, which I now know. And uh, basically took the, uh, took the responsibility on, got business plans together, negotiated the lease on the building that we're in, got the financing available to, to start the business and all the things you do to, to start a business whilst working full time uh, in a job that I wasn't particularly enjoying. Uh, I ended up having a boss that I absolutely couldn't stand. Uh, he didn't much like me either, to be fair. Um, he also didn't like the fact that I was opening a salon, didn't like it, and we just clashed. Um, and you know, I was on probably the best money of my life at that point. Again, all the best benefits and you know, working behind them was, it was a big responsibility and it, it was a good job. And I couldn't afford to be out, out of that job, to be honest with you. Um, especially as Rachel would come out doing what she was doing to then start the salon. So, um, 
yeah, basically it was uh, a lot of pressure and uh, I massively underestimated it. Um, but even at the time, I just, just carried on going. And I suppose the best way I can describe it is uh, imagine that there's a, a big sort of swamp of mud that you've got to go through to get to the other side. That's what I basically crawled through to. I knew where I wanted to get to and I was going to do absolutely anything to get to it. What I didn't realise at the time, what I now realise now is what a detrimental effect it's going to have on my mental health. Um, and as I say, I was the type of guy uh, prior to prior to that situation where if you had mentioned mental health, I probably would raise my eyebrows and go, all right, yeah, someone's off of stress, are they? I didn't really get it. Um, uh, and, and as I said, I, although I'd experienced the panic attack, I didn't know that I actually had. I just thought I'd had a funny turn. So, um, yeah, so we ended up doing opening the salon. That was really good. Um, the salon went from strength to strength. Uh, my job at Heineken ended up getting worse. And I knew that I needed to probably get out and start my own business um, outside of the salon. And was your mental you, health, um, sorry to interrupt, was your mental health sort of getting worse at that point as well? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so things were just getting I a bit more. I didn't realise it. Um, I didn't realise to the extent. Um, when I started to know things were wrong is when I knew, I pretty much knew that my job at Heineken was coming to an end. And it wasn't anything to do with my performance. It was the fact that I didn't get on with my boss. And I knew my boss was going to do anything to get rid of me. Um, and uh, that's when I suppose it really started to kick in. Because I felt like I was on a bit of a timer to get out and get something sorted. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, I was definitely having issues then, shall we say. Uh, but I, w I was definitely not vocal about it. Um, I kept it to myself. And as I said, at that time, I was, I was very, uh, well, I still am goal orientated. I still set myself goals. But that, at that time, I would do anything to achieve a goal, anything. Uh, no matter how much it would hurt you know, or affect me, it didn't matter. You know, I would literally just batter through something to get to what I wanted. Um, and again, now, looking back on it, I, I can see that. It was kind of a double-edged sword for me because that confidence and that ability to, to get through it would reward me often. I didn't realise I was kicking the shit out of myself at the same time to do it. Um, and I'm sure there's you know plenty of people in different scenarios doing stuff very similar. Um, so, yeah, you know, I was, I was at this sort of crossroads where we'd just opened the salon. Um, I was unhappy in the dream job that I had, which at the time was my sort of dream job. Um, and I knew that I needed to go and start something in my career. Uh, in the drinks industry, which is what I've worked in for sort of 10 years up to that point. Uh, so the salon was flying, it was doing really well. Uh, it was hitting every forecast that I'd put into the business. Um, and then came the big sort of blow up situation. So we basically, um, and I won't name names on here, and it'd be funny if the individual did end up watching this video because he knows how I feel about them. Um, but basically, it's uh -huh. <laughs> good. Or her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or her, yeah. Basically, my other half's best friend um, of sort of 15, 20 years um, came to work for us at the salon and uh, fully trusted that individual with, with everything we were doing. And uh, basically, me, me and Rachel had been working extremely hard for a good sort of year, 18 months, like I said before. 
and we needed a break. We were knackered out, absolutely knackered out. Um, and we went on on holiday, something initially that I didn't really feel comfortable in doing, uh, leaving the business sort of on its own after 10 months. But I knew my other half in particular needed a break. She was absolutely knackered out. Um, and so we went away. What we didn't know when we went away is actually that this individual was going to completely shaft us, um, and which would affect us financially in the long term. And I suppose, you know, this links on to where, you know, my mental health in particular really, really suffered. Um, and I was very, very angry for a, a long period of time. And I would have done anything to get, you know, retribution for it at the time. And uh, basically, um, it, the effect of what happened, and I won't go into the full ins and outs of what happened, but the effect of what happened uh, nearly made us bankrupt. Um, and we had put everything into our business financially. And, you know, anyone out there that runs a business knows that just because you turn over a certain amount doesn't mean you're, you're making that in profit. Um, and, they, you know, all the sacrifices you're going to making sure that the business is running smoothly. Um, there was a lot, a lot of things that we were doing and finding out for the first time because, you know, it was all the learning experience. But, yeah, this individual who happened to be my other half's best friend ended up doing what we considered to be doing the dirty, cost us a lot of money. Um, and what I basically did is I hid it from my behalf as to how bad it was financially. Um, and for about four months, uh, I wouldn't let on to her how bad it was. She was already grieving from the loss of her, her best friend. I'm uh, feeling totally sort of let down from that, uh, gutted. Um, and what I knew was that actually the business was severely hemorrhaging cash because of it. Um, Sorry, Dave, were you still working at Heineken at the same time? Here? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you had that, you had the Heineken yeah. pressure from work, yeah, obviously hiding this from your other half and yeah. obviously trying to deal with your other half, making a, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was picking my other half, uh, other half That's up. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, she was absolutely gutted. Um, this individual had, you know, had done what they had done, uh, and in our eyes, it was, you know, it was almost the ultimate betrayal type thing. And uh, yeah, so it was a real tough time. And, and like I said, look, um, for me, I, I, the most important thing was to get my other half back into work because I knew, and you know, she knows now, and I've, we've, we've talked about it many times since that if she hadn't gone to work, we would have lost everything. Um, and you know, it, it was really, it was really tough. Um, you know, and it, it lasted for about two and a half years. So it was like, you know, day in, day out, trying to keep the business alive. Um, and, and when I say the business alive, that was everything. We had everything invested in it, everything. Um, and uh, when all this had happened, what I hadn't said, Ray, was that the week that this happened, that the situation had happened in the salon, I left Heineken. So I actually left Heineken in the same week to go and start Love Your Pub. Okay. And that was like, literally it just happened. It happened to happen at the same time. So I'd walked out of my job um, and it's a very well paid job. But you know, at the time I had to give my car back and all sorts. And this happened in the same week. And it was just like, yeah, explosion, absolute explosion. Uh, so like I say, Go on, talk, 
Sorry, I was just going to ask you when you said um, previously there that you you tried to keep everything together. Yeah, uh, you didn't want anyone else to. You didn't really need help. You just thought, no, I've got this. Do you think that came from um, how you, where you were so confident in the past? Yeah, 100%. And you just thought, actually, I can deal with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and because I think there's a lot of people out there that, that do do the same thing. They go, yeah. no, I've got this. And then ultimately, you're going to go yeah. into now, obviously, how that wasn't actually the case. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I've, as a character, I felt invincible. Um, and you know, my, my sort of priority was supporting my other half um, and getting through it. And again, using that analogy of the, the swamp that I used earlier, um, I could see a way through it, but I knew it was going to be shit. Um, and it was going to take time, and it was going to be a long, hard um, sludge, but we would get through it. What, what I didn't realise, you know, was, you know um, again, what effect that would have on both of us. Uh, and one of the things that I sort of know now is... Uh, one of the reasons that I think we're so strong as a couple is we both experience anxiety, stress, and mental health issues together at the same time. And in a way, it, was, it sounds terrible. I'm thankful for that because I know a lot of couples that have ended up splitting up because one partner hasn't understood why the other partner is so stressed or so, um, you know, het up. Or uh, whereas we, you know, we went through it all at the same time and. Uh, you know, it made us stronger, really. It did make us stronger. Were you struggling to, with all this pressure on you, were you struggling to sleep? Were you drinking? How were you coping with it? To be honest with you, my focus was getting through it. So, again, if I was trying to give an analogy, it was like wearing a massive backpack on my, on my back that was you know, almost too heavy for me to carry. But I knew, you know, if I carried on going, we'd get to where we'd need to get to. But... Like I say, I didn't realise how much of an effect it was, it was having. And it was having an effect even at that time. Um, so what I started to notice, and again, I didn't really make it too obvious um, at the time. I started to tell Rachel bits and pieces, but my panic attacks started getting worse. Uh, so I told you I'd had that panic attack sort of two years prior. Uh, start to kick back in. Um, and the first things I noticed were um, shortness of breath. Um, dry mouth um, and something they call anxiety throat which I don't know you know there might be some people that have had similar situations and it's horrible but basically your throat closes up when you're, when you're trying to eat um, and what it is is where you're so het up and you're so working on adrenaline and your blood pressure is probably up as well to be fair you're just even when you're trying to relax you can't relax um, and even simple things like eating um, was becoming an issue um, to the point where you feel you're going to choke, uh, stuff like that's horrible. Um, and, and what I started to realise that actually stress isn't just in the mind, it's a real physical, horrible physical uh, condition as well. Uh, and a lot of my stress and anxiety did sort of, uh, uh, sort of come through physically as opposed to just mentally. Um, so... Um, yeah, I, I started to, like I say, have these panic attacks more often. And, and what I also found, and, and something that still happens to me today, because one thing with stress and anxiety is it don't go away. You know, you, you learn how to cope with it. And, uh, you know, thank goodness. Um, nowadays, I do know how to cope with it. And uh, I've met some great people along my journey that have helped me to do that. 
Um, but one thing that really started to affect me, and Danny knows about this from where he's worked with me in the past, is driving. So, I'm, you know, my, my past, I've driven all over the UK, you know, many times, uh, work-related and personal, and, and, and never had an issue with it. But what started to manifest that and my stress was that actually it was affecting my driving and my ability to drive properly. Um, and I started to get panic attacks a lot on really busy roads, uh, which if you're doing 70 or 80 miles an hour, 70 or four, sorry, 70 miles an hour, um, on a busy road, you don't want to be having a panic attack at the same time. And uh, that was frightening. It was absolutely frightening. Um, and uh, at the time, we were trying to keep the salon financially viable. We were trying to keep people in jobs. We were also getting over the fact that we'd been fucked over by someone close to Rachel. Um, I had started a new business, Love Your Pub, on my own from zero customers with no money coming in at all. Um, and I was dependent on using my car to go and see new customers and, and drive around and start to be, build the business. And I was an absolute wreck. Um, I remember I'd go have meetings with people and I wouldn't even know I was in the room. Um, I literally, I felt like I was floating. I didn't even feel like I was there. Um, and this isn't something that went on for a couple of days. This went on for like two, two and a half, three years. It was just like literally day in, day out. It was, it was torturous. Um, and uh, it was horrible. But, you know, I speak to my friends now and I speak to some of my customers that knew me back then. And none of them knew I was going through it, which I, I find unbelievable because... That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, because it just... I, I mean, even to be having this conversation today, like if it had been sort of three and a half, four years ago, I'd have been a nervous wreck, sort of, just, but you wouldn't have known it. You wouldn't have known it at all. And I think that sort of, you know, when you hear about sort of mental health being a silent killer, you look at people like Gary Speed and, you know, people like that, I can understand, you know, how that, how that comes about. Uh, because I felt dreadful inside, day in, day out. Um, and no one knew, and I wasn't telling people either. Um, I think there was an element that I was embarrassed, um, and I think there was an element, again, where I thought, what we've talked about previously, I'll get through this. I can see where I need to get to. I'll yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So when you were feeling like that, all you kept thinking was, I'll get through this. If I just keep pushing forward, yeah, I'm going to get to the other end. It's a bit like, I suppose, like in, like a, gym, said. in a gym session, you know, when you're, you're pushing people, and people are pushing themselves to get through yeah. a certain, you know, you know that you're going to get through it. Um, but yeah, what I didn't, what I sort of wasn't realising is how much damage I was doing to myself mentally. And uh, yeah, like I said, that went on for about three years. That's a long time. Looking back on it now, that is a long time. Did you um, speak to anyone in this time? Did you tell anyone? No. So basically the final moment came, and my other half, Rachel, knew about it. I mean, and my parents knew about it a bit, but they probably didn't know it to the level that it was at. Uh, but the defining moment, and it sounds quite funny, but I, I remember it vividly. And uh, I went, it was a Sunday morning, and uh, I went to Laura Ashley up at Haven uh, to take back a lamp uh, that we had at home. Well, the reason I had to take it back. And I drove up there on my own, had about three panic attacks on the drive up. And, and like I said, a panic attack for someone that's got epilepsy mimics the, the feelings that you're going to have when you're about to have a fit. You feel like you're going to black out. You know, people potentially watching this that have experienced that 
they'll all know what that what that feeling is. It's it's horrible. It's like you're not there. It's like you're looking down on yourself type thing, like a third sort of a third third eye view. And uh, so I had about two or three panic attacks on the way up to Laura Ashley. Got into the Laura Ashley shop. Had about another two panic attacks. And and, and what started to transpire from this, um, and I'm not sure whether other people would uh, have had it, is that what I now know and what I didn't know then is that a lot of my panic and anxiety was around crowds of people. And it almost was uh, like claustrophobic anxiety. And again, I, did, I didn't know that. I just knew I didn't want to be around anyone to the point where I felt like just shouting out loud, like, just fuck off, get away from me. Um, and if ever I was in a situation, so like I was in Laura Ashtree at the time, lots of people around me, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. I need to get the lamp take it back, get my money back, and get the hell out of the shop as quick as possible. And all at this point, you're in full uh, fight and flight mode, which is, you know, for anyone that's experienced that, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's really horrible. So then I drove back, had about another two panic attacks driving back. And again, anyone that has a panic attack, it drains you. You feel absolutely knackered. Uh, and I was like, right, I've got to pop into Morrison's on the Eastern Road to pick up something for our Sunday lunch. Um, popped into Morrison's. And I suppose it would be quite funny now if anyone had any CCTV of it. I must have gone in that shop 10 times and come out each time because I couldn't, I could not cope being around people. Uh, so every time I went to fill up my basket with what I needed, I had to get the hell out of the shop and then go back in, get the hell out of the shop. It was, it was crazy. And I, at that point, I knew I thought, this is, this is bad. You know what I mean? This is really not good. I was, I was close to tears at that point. Anyway, I finally got my, my shopping done. Um, and again, I suppose the best way to sort of describe that feeling is that uh, I just needed to get out. I just need, I was just in full panic mode. I was like really sort of uh, paranoid. It was just horrible. Um, so I finally got out of Morrison's. Finally paid, I did pay for my shopping, by the way. Uh, finally paid for my shopping. And uh, drove home, and my other half, Rachel, was at home, and uh, I just literally burst into tears, just collapsed. I was just, I was an absolute nervous wreck. Um, and I had been speaking to my mum about getting help. My mum and dad knew that something wasn't right, um, and my mum had given me a contact that she had been given by someone else that she knew. And at the time, uh, she had given it to me probably a couple of months before, and I just, I didn't do anything with it. Again, I probably that mentality, I'll get through this. I'll get through it, I don't need help. Um, and I remember I got home on a Sunday and I was like, I, I need help, I'm, I'm not in a good place. Um, and that was the first time I felt suicidal. So again, never ever felt suicidal in my life. Uh, not, I wouldn't say I would laugh at someone for saying I was suicidal, but I'd probably raise my eyebrows and go, all right, yeah. But that was the first time in my life that I, I felt suicidal. And touch wood, since then I've never felt that. But at that particular moment, that was that was big. So we had all this financial pressure around us. Uh, we had invested everything into our business. Um, I had started a new business. I had major mental health issues that I, that I didn't realise. I'd gone from this really confident individual to an absolute nervous wreck. Uh, and then I, I sought help. So I spoke to my other half and I got in contact with a guy now, uh, a guy called uh, Steve. Um, and I will give a shout out to Steve. He's absolutely awesome. I've recommended lots of people to Steve over the last couple of years since 
I started seeing him. Um, and uh, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, so, you know... If you, um, sorry to interrupt, if, you, on, if yeah. you give us some details for Steve, I mean, we're quite happy to, to yeah, pop that yeah. on our links and things in case there's yeah, someone listening yeah. that really does. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Steve's based in Winter Road. His name's Steve Briggs. Uh, he's an absolutely awesome guy. Um, and he, he really helped me and my other half out. Uh, because again, like, like I said, we were a really strong unit, me and Rachel. And you know, I recognised I needed support. And a few weeks later, Rachel got some support alongside that. Well, not together, individually. Um, and uh, that was the first time I've ever, ever gone through anything like that in terms of counselling. And I guess I had a bit of a perception about it beforehand. Um, and again, I suppose it was the, the old classic sort of stereotype. And, oh, you know, don't need that shit. You know what I mean? Uh, but it, I really did need it. Um, and I went to Steve for about a year, a um, year and a bit. And, you know, there was no time frame around it. There was no sort of, you know, go for a year and then that's it. It's just that's what felt comfortable with me. Um, but Steve sort of really helped me out. Um, I was still getting a lot of panic attacks and anxiety. So that was the only thing that was, in the end, that was left that was still sort of soul-destroying, really. So although I've got a lot of stuff off my chest regarding why, regarding the salon and the issues we've had there and the retribution I wanted to the individual that caused a lot of problems there, a lot of anger management and things like that, uh, Stephen really helped me with that. I still found I was getting the anxiety a lot. Um, and that was my frustration is that what I've, what I've started to learn is my life is so structured and I am a control freak um, and there must be a reason for everything uh, and therefore I wanted to know why I was having panic attacks, why they would happen at particular times and particular, particular situations and what I actually learned is there's no answer um, which is frustrating when you're really structured uh, yeah, control for it because you want an answer and, and sometimes it's just not um, I wanted to know why it was affecting my driving out of everything why is my driving being affected again there's no answer but I kept wanting an answer uh, but in the end um, I had the um, I had the counselling it was, it was excellent and I'd recommend it to anyone don't suffer in silence you know, go, and, go and get some support definitely um, and the other thing that really helped me with my anxiety um, and my panic attacks um, and has really helped is mindfulness. So I'm not sure if anyone's sort of done mindfulness or think about their mindfulness. Again, it's a form of meditation. Um, and I was not into that type of thing at all uh, previously. And I would have laughed, not laughed, but I was just going, yeah, whatever. But I was so desperate. I was so desperate to get uh, sort of, I would use the word cure, but like I say, you, you're never cured with anxiety and stuff. It, it will always potentially be there. But I was so desperate to limit it and suppress it. I thought, fuck it. Yeah, I'll try it. Whatever. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll try anything. And uh, I met a lady called Steph who was at the same place as, as Steve was at and did some one-to-one -one stuff with Steph over a period of about nine to ten months. And she was brilliant absolutely awesome um and again that's something that i would fully recommend to anyone that is potentially suffering in silence so when it, you say mindfulness day yeah. you sort of like was that a calm meditation 
breathing techniques. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like a mixture of everything, was it? Yeah, yeah, but particularly breathing. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's something that is that something that you saw. Yeah, of? I've done stuff like that before. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome, and and to to know to be able to be taught that so that you can um, activate that at any time, you know, on, on your own or whatever, yeah. was the skills that I needed and the tools that I needed to move forward. Uh, you know, you'll probably hear a lot of people say it, it never leaves you, but being able to control it is the key, uh, yeah. and it really was. Um, but yeah, it was it was predominantly down to breathing techniques. Yeah. I would always shut my eyes and do like a body scan and things like that and just get in touch with different parts of your body that you, that you just don't even realise. And yeah, I mean, like I say, I 100% recommend it to anyone that is uh, is going through that type of stuff. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, you ever tried a thing called Headspace? It's an yeah. App. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty yeah. good as well. Yeah, it's like a ten yeah. day thing, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've, I've mm. used this space a few times, but um, again, like, like I say, I think it's, it's unfortunate that stereotypical. I mean, if you look at Portsmouth, for example, the stereotypical guy or male, you know, under the age of sort of forty, you know, we probably wouldn't talk about things like this and no. laugh and take the piss. You know, I've been in situations, you know, when I was younger, when you did, um, yeah. but life's hard, as we all know. Life is hard. Uh, for me and Rachel, it was particularly um, a worry regarding finances because we had always been very comfortable um, uh, with our finances and I was a bit of a control freak with them. And then all of a sudden when they just sort of went like that and I had no control over it, that's what triggered everything for me. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it is a taboo subject. Um, I think as, as a nation, we're getting better at it. Definitely. One of the reasons that I wanted to come on here today was because I find a lot of um, uh, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I find a lot of um, sort of release, really, talking about it. Mm. And uh, if that can help other people, um, then I think that's really re rewarding as well. Um, and uh, yeah, like I say, it's, um, I think a lot of people, when they meet me, they probably think I'm a bit of a show-off. They might even think I'm a bit arrogant. Uh, I've worked bloody hard for what what me and Rachel do now. You know, we've worked hard for it. You know, there's a lot of sacrifices we've made behind the scenes, and a lot of people would probably be surprised that you know that I've that I've experienced what I've experienced, and probably wouldn't pat me down as you know going through uh, those types of things, which might be similar to them. Um, but we're all human at the end of the day, uh, and we're all not sort of we're all breakable. You know, we all have our, our, our breaking points. So, yeah. I think some people put a front on as well, don't they? 100%. Maybe more so when they are going through a lot more stress and, you know, like you say, anxiety. Some people tend to cover that up by being more um, forward and looking confident and stuff. Yeah, I did. I think, I think that's something that definitely happens. Yeah, Papering I'd... over cracks, isn't it? Papering yeah. over the cracks. Yeah, yeah. I think also like what didn't help was was just not talking about it, mm. just keeping it locked up inside. And, yeah, yeah. And like I said, for me, my mind's a bit of a double-edged sword. I'm very creative, and you know the businesses that that, that me and Rachel have, our creativity, uh, you know, it sort of helps us to pr progress forward and move forward. 
but at the same time, my mind can torture me. You know, inside, you know, I'll, my mind will be going over and over and over. So the same thing that helps reward me can help natural. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. you've got to find a balance, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably why the meditation works so well for you. Yeah, the breathing. I'd Did say you, so. Work well for you, right? Yeah, definitely. I went through a period. Yeah, you know, I'll go into it, but I went through a period where things were getting on top of me and going and doing it, breathing exercises. Um, Jim Paradox helped me as well. Have you ever read that book? Oh, no. That book helped me massively. I read that twice. Um, and yeah, and then, like I say, the breathing, uh, headspace, searching for that stuff and finding out there's another way of getting around and sort of allowing you to deal with those sort of things. Yeah. Made, it, made it better for me, yeah. I read Black Dog. I'm not sure if you read that. What, Black that's Dog? No. Black Dog, yeah. So basically that's about Winston Churchill. So okay. he suffered really bad with it. And again, no one knew it. Uh, and he used to call his, his depression, his anxiety, his stress, he used to call it his Black Dog. Uh, it was always on his, you know, it was always near him, his shadow, almost like a shadow, really. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, Winston Churchill, you know, for the wars, you know, he was having to be extremely strong and, you know, have a lot of pressure and things like that. And no one really knew that he was experiencing it. And, Back then, it was you know certainly wasn't spoken about at all, was it? So, yeah, that's what that that book's about. And I, I read that, and again, it was quite enlightening. I think, oh yeah, yeah, sort of resonates. Um, so right, we're in isolation at the moment, and uh, obviously it's, it's a bit of a an odd, uh, a bit of an odd situation for a lot of people, and I think a lot yeah. of people dealing with it in different ways. How have you been dealing with isolation? Obviously, you've got two businesses to think about. Um, can you give us a, give a, a quick... It's sound different, but I've enjoyed it. Um, not in terms of the actual subject around it. It's horrendous. You know, people are dying, and uh, that's awful. Um, but in terms of business, Dan, like from what you're saying, I've been able to switch off. Mm. I haven't switched off for six years. Um, and again, like, you know, sort of coming through this, you start to sort of analyse things and I probably feel the best now that I've, I've felt in seven years, uh, which is quite a statement to make. Um, and like I say, whilst I appreciate the subject of why we're off at the moment is very sensitive, um, you know, and there's clearly a lot of horrible stuff going on. The ability to, you know, there's obviously been a lot of people complaining about, you know, having to self-isolate and uh, um, you know not be able to see loved ones which is which is horrible but for me and Rachel to be able to shut off which we've not been able to do for such a long time it's been it's been quite good um, like literally we you know I I almost I always stress about one thing in particular so I, uh, it's, it's mainly finances and um, you know luckily we're financially stable um, so we don't need to worry about that side of it things um rachel was five months pregnant um with our first oh congratulations mate, Cheers, congratulations, mate. Uh, what a year to have a baby eh? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've been together 13 years like 2020 is the year yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what i will say is you know obviously hairdressers you know they can't operate at the moment um and uh, rachel's been able to have some time off that in, a, in, a, in our real lives just would never have happened 
Uh, they work quite long hours, don't they? And, uh, we can... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Sixty-hour week. <laughs> so it's um, <laughs> Rachel does easy. Um, so the fact that she's been able to have the ability to, you know, go through sort of you know, nearly three months of her pregnancy uh, as a first-time mum with limited stress. That was something I was worried about in the early early days, to be honest with you. Um, we've kind of been lucky. But like I say, at the same time, I know that you know, the subjects around what's going on, you know, there's a lot of people working out there as nurses and things like that where, you know, we don't want to be complacent or arrogant. But for us individually, you know, we have been able to get some rest, um, which might sound a bit weird, but... No, you, I think you've you no, got to find sense. positives in any situation, haven't you? Yeah. Like, regardless of what it is, you've got to try and find a positive somewhere. Yeah, you know, our two businesses, probably like, like the gym with, with you, Ray, you know, we've got a salon which can't operate. Yeah. My company operates with pubs. So all my customers are pubs and restaurants and bars and hotels can't operate. Um, so it's just a really strange time. And, you know, we're workaholics. Our businesses are everything to us, and to suddenly just be made to stop—it it has been strange. It's, you, know, you hope it's a one-off in terms of the nature of what's going on at the moment. You know that this is, this, you know, will sort itself out. But as you know, after analysing it, the good that can come out of it is that actually I, I feel like, like I said to you before, it's probably the best I've felt in about seven years, um, and. Uh, you know, I, I feel that like I've been able to sort of almost come back down to earth by shutting off um, and reevaluate things as well, to be honest with you, about what's most important, uh, little ones on the way. Um, and I want to be able to spend as much time with her as, as possible. Um, and it's nice to be able to run your own business and be self-sufficient so that, you know, you can do that. Um, and uh, you know, I, I want to be really hands-on with everything and uh yeah hopefully the good that can come out of this you know out of what has been a, a really strange horrible situation for everyone is that you know i think people hopefully will be a bit kinder to one another yeah that i i'm hoping exactly the same mate. i think there is lots lots of positive to take out of this and like you say everyone's had a bit of time now to sit back and reflect and i think um well what what is highlighted is something that we always used to take for granted, which is interacting with people. Yeah. Uh, especially for myself and some of the people I've been speaking to, that's what they miss the most. Being able to just go and chat to, chat to their mate, or, or you know, yeah. have a pint with someone, you know, anything like that. It's just stuff we took for granted, and now is something that we we just seek for, we want, and hopefully we can get back to that soon. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 100%. It's, it's a very strange, strange bit. You kind of feel like you're in a film. Yeah. It's eerie, isn't it? It's, uh, I mean, we've, we've, you know, I know there's people out there that aren't following the guidance and the rules, but we have, you know, I mean, it's, we've got a little one on the way, and we're, we're the type of people that's just like, you listen, try and listen to people know what they're talking about. Yeah. What's the point? You know, you know what the alternative could be. And I don't really fancy that at my age at the moment, to be honest. So you try and play by the rules and, most sort of, re, sort of redesign yourself really um i definitely don't want to get anywhere near as angry and het up as i as i used to um and uh i'm almost taking this personally as, as, as a way of sort of yeah like i said re, redesigning myself and chilling out a bit mm. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I, would, I would absolutely live and die by my businesses prior to this. Live and die. Um, if you ask Danny, Danny would tell you, you know, all I, all I ever did was business, 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 business. And it wasn't necessarily to do with financial reward. It was because I just loved it. I was addicted to it. Um, but I know now that actually, you know what I mean? that's, that's not the most important thing in life. Um, actually, the health of me and my other half and you know, our daughter, uh, that's going to be uh, coming along. I think when the baby comes as well, you're already thinking that way, but that's yeah. exactly what, you, that's how you start to think when, when yeah. the baby's there. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, um, it's been brilliant, mate. Your story, I think, is going to um, inspire quite a lot of people. Um, I think just from the, the things that you've gone through. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are in a very, very similar situation that are balancing finances, balancing finance, uh, sorry, family life um, and, and work life and, you know, suffering in, like you say, suffering in silence. Um, and hopefully people that, that hear this might just, you know, just step out of that silence and hopefully start to talk to somebody. And, and, I think we mentioned it earlier, we're going to obviously put some contact details up there as well of, of um, some of the people that you've spoken to to help you um, cope with um, your anxiety and your stress. So um, thank you for coming on today. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's been yeah, thanks, uh, Dave. Uh, just a quick one, mate. So you would say if anyone was listening to this now yeah. um, and they were feeling some of those feelings that you were going through, maybe in the early, maybe they're at the early stage or something, would you like, What's the, would you say the best thing to do is talk about it? What would, yeah, advice uh, would you give to those? So if you're in the early stages of it and you were like me where you're just like, I'll be, I'll be fine, I'll get through it, you won't. Um, you, need, you, know, you need to recognise it. It's, it's not something that disappears overnight. It, it can take years and it did with me. And actually the longer you leave it, the longer it goes on. Um, so... I think to, to anyone that's experienced it, I would say to get some help. And I think like, even using the terminology, get some help, sounds like a lot of work. It's, it's not. It's a, it's a phone call, an email to, you know, I mentioned the guy that, that I've dealt with. I mean, he was brilliant. He emailed me back within half an hour and I was seeing him two days later. Um, so I think, you know, to anyone that thinks they're invincible, you ain't. You ain't invincible. You, you know, if you're starting to feel those situations, you're going to need some support of some kind. Talk to your mates as well. Uh, one, one of the things, and it's interesting to say it, right? But one of the things that I noticed as well, the more I spoke about it to my mates, the more they always like, yeah, we're like that. Yeah, we're like that. Yeah, I've, I've experienced that. Yeah, I get that. And I actually speak to a couple of my friends now, where. They just, you know, like some of my mates have had it for 15 years and I'm never new. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until we all started talking about it that we were like, shit. And, and, and actually some of my friends have told me situations that I remember 10, 12, 15 years ago. And they were like, oh, do you remember when that happened? Did you remember when I was like that? And I was like, yeah. Oh, that's because I was having a full-on panic attack or full-on anxiety. And I'm like, what? So talk about it with your mates I guarantee you sort of a high percentage of your friends are going through it and experiencing it um, but don't and the other thing is as well and you know when I say 
you won't be able to get through it on your own. You will need support. That's not a defeat. That's not a defeatist thing. You know, actually, it's it's really you know you're not you're not letting yourself down by getting support. You're doing the right thing for yourself because uh, that's what I kept feeling. That I was like letting myself down, and, and you're not. Well said, mate. Well said. Yeah, well said. Thanks again, Dave. Thanks so much for coming on. No worries. Um, really you, appreciate Dave. it. Cheers, guys. Brilliant. Okay. We'll see you next time, guys. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe on the YouTube channel or hit us up on um, Spotify and we're on Apple. Apple as well, aren't we, Dan? Yeah, so we're on Apple Podcasts now as well, Spotify. Um, and our next guest is going to be Emily Lenane. So um, we're looking forward to chatting to Emily. Um, as our next guest. So Dave, thank you again for coming on. Um, Guys, please remember to subscribe to the channel and uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. See you later, guys. Stay safe. See ya.